Lord God, thank you so much for this uh, beautiful day, Lord. That rain or shine, we can hear your word and come together, worship as a body of Christ. That we can sing your praises, we can hear your word and be in fellowship together, and we thank you so much. Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts, Lord God, on a very challenging topic. But Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to us, open our hearts, our ears to your word, Lord. And we just ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Now, how many of us can we all remember some, something someone did to us in the past that we still have not let go of? I don't know if that's years ago or minutes ago or an hour ago. But, and it could be anything. It could be trivial, right? Something trivial someone did to us, or it could be very traumatic. It can range from annoyance, or it can be something very damaging, right? The memory may be comical, or it could be scarring. But I imagine all of us experience something like that in the past, right? And perhaps there may be something that came quick to your mind, that something happened to you, someone did something to you or said something to you that you still have not let go of. It still affects you. Now, today's message may be difficult to swallow for many people because this is a topic that we can all struggle with. And that topic is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Whether we experience something traumatic or trivial, something that, we, that was funny at the time, but affected us, we can all struggle with forgiveness. Right? We all know the saying, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can crush the spirit. That's not how the saying goes, right? But words can never hurt me is a complete lie, right? Words can crush the spirit. How many of us have had something said to us that really stabbed us? It hurts, and we still remember that to this day, right? All of us has been on both sides of unforgiveness. There's things that were done to us, said to us, whatever it is, that we have not been able to let go. We have not been able to forgive. But I bet you, we have all done something also that has not been forgiven. Maybe you know and you can experience, you understand the feeling that you know you did something and they left you unforgiven. And you carry that to this day, right? Unforgiveness. It's a challenging and very difficult topic. And a lot of people think and they wonder, is forgiveness necessary? Do I have to forgive? We're going to take a look at that today. So you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 11. We're finishing off this section of Mark. We've been focusing on like these 
these four verses for the couple weeks, couple messages, and we're going to wrap up this section this week. But we need to keep in mind the context that Jesus and what's going on, the stage is being set. The stage is being set for Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And we saw in previous weeks that Jesus makes a bold declaration when he went into the temple. The Messiah has come into Jerusalem. But those who are entrusted with God's word, right? They were to be God's representative to the people, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, and so forth. What did they make of the temple? Well, they let, they've been leading the people astray the house of the lord had become a den of robbers as jesus described a house for prayer for all nations turned into a marketplace for profit and so we saw that jesus he makes that declaration and then he goes and and we see that there's this withered fig tree just as he had said and how jesus used the moment of the withered fig tree as a teaching lesson for his disciples that he was teaching them about faith and the power of prayer in faith, right? To not only believe in God, but to pray that reflects that faith in God. So through the withering fig tree, Jesus takes the time to teach his disciples on faith and praying in faith. And this is where we're going to pick up. We've been covering of this verse. Let's pick up in verse uh, 22. And Jesus answered and saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it shall be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your transgressions. I'll stop there. So Jesus responds, right? He's responding, responding to the disciples' wonder of how did the fig tree all of a sudden get withered? And Jesus teaches them about two things, right? Faith and praying in faith. Faith and praying in faith. But Jesus teaches them even further. He adds something else. What does he add? A lesson on forgiveness. He says, forgive as the Father has forgiven you. Now Jesus emphasizes two actions in this passage. Okay? Both are used, and I talked about this earlier this morning in, uh, in CE, in Bible study, that these two words, these two verbs, believe and forgive, these two actions, believe and forgive, in the Greek, it's in the imperative, in other words, there's a command there, believe, forgive. Now, I think we all understand what it means to believe, right? The Greek word, to, we get the word believe here. To think to be true, to be persuaded of, to credit, place confidence in, to entrust. Okay, we all understand what it means to believe, right? Believe in God. But the second word is this Greek word where we translate it as forgive. This Greek word is used in many different contexts. 
Okay? The, the, tech, the context range from leaving something behind to canceling debts. Okay? If you owe somebody something and that debt was forgiven, it was canceled. It's also used in context from pardoning or removing guilt from someone or someone's wrongdoing. All right? So this word forgive, it's used in many different contexts, but it paints an interesting picture of what we understand forgiveness to mean. To leave something behind, to cancel someone's debt, to remove the, or pardoning the guilt from wrongdoing. So you may think about yourself, and you look at what Jesus is saying. He says, believe, have faith in God, pray in faith, and then he mentions forgiveness. To forgive. I don't know if you're reading this and you may be wondering, what is the relationship with faith and forgiveness, especially in this context, right? Because if you were to read what Jesus is saying in response in this context, if you remove what Jesus says about forgiveness, you still have the, the lesson intact, right? Jesus does this miraculous thing about the fig tree. The disciples wonder, how did this happen? He teaches about faith and the power of faith, um, and praying in faith, and you seem to have that lesson intact, right? Why does Jesus say, forgive here? What is the relationship between having faith, even praying in faith, and forgiveness? We're going to answer that question. We're going to look at that today. Keep in mind, I've been continuously saying this, remember in context what Jesus is doing at this time. He's also preparing the disciples, right? He's preparing the disciples of what's going to happen to him, his arrest, his crucifixion, his resurrection. But he's also preparing them for their ministry, right? When Jesus ascends and they're going to carry out the ministry, they're going to be the ambassadors of the gospel. They're going to be ones to be teaching people about the gospel of Christ. So he's preparing them that they would have that faith. Verse 25, what we just read. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your transgressions. Now, if you look in your Bibles, there's a verse 26. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. If you look in your Bibles, you might see, you might take note that there's a little note in your Bible about verse 26. That verse 26 doesn't appear in some or many translations or many older manuscripts. And so you may look at that and may wonder, well, why is that? You know, where does this come from? Well, if you look in Matthew, this verse is a parallel from Matthew 6.14. Here in Matthew 6.14, we see a parallel teaching, right? For it, Jesus saying, for if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So some people... Look at verse 26 in Mark and possibly consider that perhaps that was added later on, right? As, as the gospel is being written, is recorded over time, and perhaps they look back at Matthew and say, oh, we put that on there, right? But that verse doesn't come out of nowhere, but it's, in, it's consistent with what Jesus had taught about forgiveness, okay? So I just kind of wanted to add that in case you're wondering, you look at your Bible and it says, you know, where did verse 26 come from, Okay? But what is Jesus saying here? Forgive 
as God forgave you. I want you to think about that for a second. Forgive as God has forgiven you. Just as you desire God's forgiveness for your sin, for your wrongdoing, forgive others as you want God to forgive you. So he says when you stand praying, right? When you stand praying and you're asking God, and you're asking God in faith for you to do some, for him to do something for you. Jesus says, don't forget. Forgive. If you go before God asking God for something, make sure you don't forget forgiveness. You may wonder, do we have to do that? Do we have to remember forgiveness? Can, can't we just have faith in God and, and skip the forgiveness part? Those things that were done to us that we feel so wronged about, that we have a hard time forgiving others for, can we just skip that part? But Jesus adds that. Forgiveness. We have to remember that forgiveness and faith in God and praying and asking of faith all go hand in hand. In fact, was there from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, faith, asking in faith, and forgiveness. I want to take you back from the very beginning in Mark chapter 1. In the very beginning when Jesus started his ministry and what he was proclaiming to the people, look what Mark 1.14, if you remember this, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, the beginning of his ministry, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Now, what is repentance? What does repentance mean? Repentance means to change one's mind for the better. Okay, change one's mind for the better. So if you're going to change your mind for the better, what needs to happen? In order for you to change your mind for the better, you need to recognize what? What you're thinking or what you're doing is wrong. Right? In most cases, you need to ask for forgiveness. When you repent, he's saying, look, repent. You mean you got to acknowledge what you did is wrong, and you need to acknowledge that what you did was wrong against God. And you need to change. Right? So confession, right? To confess something you did was wrong. And forgiveness is critical for repentance, right? In order to change, you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to confess something's wrong and ask for forgiveness. This issue of forgiveness and faith was early in this ministry. Jesus claimed this early in his ministry. If you remember in Mark chapter 2, if you remember this scene, there was a paralytic man who could not walk, and he had four people carrying him by mat to go see Jesus. They believed if they brought him to Jesus, Jesus would heal him. But what happened? They go to the house, and it's crowded full of people. They couldn't get in. But they didn't let that deter them. What did they do? They went up to the roof. 
And they opened, made an opening from the roof. And what did they do? They lowered the man in front of Jesus. And what happened? And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now this isn't why they brought him to Jesus, right? They brought him to Jesus because he couldn't walk. And they believed Jesus could heal him. But the first thing Jesus does, he recognized, he acknowledged their faith. And the first thing he said to them, or to him, your sins are forgiven. And there were scribes there who witnessed this. And they were thinking, this is blasphemy. Who gave him the authority to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, what did he say to them? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take your mat, and walk. But in order that you may know, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. From the very beginning, this early miracle, Jesus is connecting faith and forgiveness of sins. Jesus acknowledged their faith, healed the man, and he boldly displayed his authority to forgive sins. So we see faith led to forgiveness and healing because of their belief or their act of faith. Jesus did the miraculous to make a case for faith. But faith in him requires dealing with the greater sickness, which is our sin. And this message carried over to the early church. The early church understood that faith and praying in faith and forgiveness of sin all go hand in hand in our foundational to our faith. Look in James chapter 5. James chapter 5 verse 14. He says, Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders for the, of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You see, the, this, this, this link was foundational to the faith of the early church. Faith, praying in faith, but also the need for forgiveness. And not just forgiveness between you and God. He says, confess your sins to one another. Now that might be a little uncomfortable, right? That might be uncomfortable. And you may have to be very careful in who you talk to about your personal sins and stuff. I understand that, right? But what I'm getting at here. When we look at what Jesus' response to the disciples of the fig tree, he talks about faith and praying in faith. And then he says, forgive. When you stand praying to God, forgive. That might make us feel a little uncomfortable. Because we can understand praying in faith. We can understand praying in God. But sometimes the forgiveness part, we have such 
a hard time. Because if we're honest, we've all struggled with forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a natural inclination, is it? When someone does something to you, is your initial response, I forgive you? Is it? When a sibling says something mean to you, do you go to that sibling and say, you know, I forgive you for that. Try that. They might say something else. (laughs) But forgiveness is not a natural inclination. It's not our natural response. Usually when something wrong is done to us, we want to, what, take revenge, right? Hold it against them. Hold grudges. Some of us may here may have held grudges for a long time. Beyond their, the person who offended us, their memory. They may not have even remembered anything, but we've held on to it this whole time. When we don't forgive, it's our way of wielding power over another person, right? Because if we forgive, we feel like that's a sign of weakness. So people struggle with forgiveness. When people think of forgiveness, people think if we forgive, it means that we won't hurt anymore, right? People think if we forgive, that means we won't hurts anymore. So they don't forgive yet because they still feel that pain that what has happened. Some people think if we forgive, does that mean we won't remember anymore? That if we forgive, then then we won't remember what all that happens. Some people think if we forgive, then that means we excuse or justify the offense of what was done to us. So people have a hard time forgiving because they think if we forgive, then we excuse or justify what took place. Some people struggle with forgiveness because they think if we forgive, then that means we must trust those who offended us. So that if we forgive someone, that means we have to trust that person again. Or that we have to have the relationship the way it was. And so we're not ready for that. So we don't forgive. Some people think if we forgive, it means that we're no longer affected by the offense. We're no longer feeling the ramifications, the effects of what was done to us, right? So a lot of people equate these things with forgiveness, but we all know, right? This is not the case, is it? This isn't forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't promise any of these things. Forgiveness doesn't promise that we won't hurt anymore that we won't be affected anymore, right? That we have to trust people the same way like we did before. Forgiveness and pain are so directly connected, aren't they? Forgiveness and pain are so directly connected that we struggle separating the two. We we have a hard time separating forgiveness from the pain of the offense. So we're not ready. We're not ready to forgive. Because I still hurt. I still remember the things that was done to me. My life is still affected by what was done to me. I am not ready to forgive. 
Some people think justice must take place first before I can forgive. But I'm sure many people who have had crimes committed against them, and even the offender was put to justice, I'm sure many people can relate to the fact that justice doesn't bring healing. It doesn't bring healing. When it comes to forgiveness, why we struggle for forgiveness, sometimes we consider, well, how worthy is a person for my forgiveness? How worthy are they? This reminds me of a passage in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it provides a very profound encounter with Jesus and two people, a Pharisee and an unlikely woman. Here's the scene of the passage, and we'll read it in a second. Jesus is is a guest at this Pharisee's house. It's probably some banquet or something. And he's reclining at a table, which is customary, you know, on the lower table. He's reclining at the table. And it's at the home of a Pharisee named Simon. And here comes an immoral woman. It's described as a sinner. A woman who is a sinner or a known immoral woman. She comes and she's behind Jesus and she comes at Jesus' feet. And she starts weeping. Weeping so much in tears that her tears are falling down on Jesus' feet. I don't know how many of you have experienced such crying. Where you're crying so much that the tears are just dropping down and there's like a puddle of tears from where you are. The only times that I can recall that I ever cried this much, where there's literally a puddle of tears, was when I was convicted of a sin or sins that I had done. I think that's the only time that I was really convicted to the point of such tears. And here is this woman that the tears are coming down, and what she does, she has a vial of perfume, and she kneels down, and with her hair, wiping Jesus' feet from the tears and anointing his feet with the perfume. This is where we pick up. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is and who is touching him, that she is a sinner. He's thinking this in his head. If this Jesus was truly a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. We know this woman is an immoral woman. She's a sinner. And he would know, and he would never let someone like that do this to him. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender who has two debtors, who one owed 500 denarii and the other 50 When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? You see the scenario? Two people. Two people who owe this money lender. 
but one owes much more than the other, and both cannot repay their debt. But the money lender forgives both of them. So Jesus asks, which of them would love the money lender more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, meaning like the casual greeting, understand, right? Customary greetings. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can you imagine the scene? This woman that everyone knows is a sinner, an immoral woman. And even Jesus himself says, yes, she has many sins to forgive. He doesn't deny it. She has much to be forgiven. But he looks at her. Her sins are forgiven. Here's a contrast of two people, right? Here's two people. One, a Pharisee. One, an immoral woman. One who believes he is a righteous man. Another, a woman who knows she's a sinner. She knows what she has done wrong. She does not need anyone to tell her or remind her of the sins that she committed. It parallels Jesus' parable. Here's one person who owes some money, but another who owes much money. And see, in the parable, the issue is not who earned, who owed more than the other, right? Because both were given gracious forgiveness of their debt equally. The point of the parable was not who owed more than the other. The issue was one, forgiveness was given to both. And the second thing, well, I'll get to the second thing in a moment. One of the biggest problems of the religious leaders of the day is that they believed they were more righteous than the others, right? And especially those who were known as the sinners, the ones who were obviously sinners. They were more righteous than them. They had much less to forgive than those people. And I think we can be guilty of that same problem when it comes to forgiveness. 
Because many people like to think other people's sins are worse than their sins, right? We could think this way and we not even realize it. We could drive on the freeway. I drive on the freeway. I'll put it to myself, right? I'll, I'll be transparent. I could drive on the freeway and I could be cut off by somebody. And I could think, what a terrible driver. Gosh, how did he cut me off like that? Man, I, I'm starting to develop this word. They're a special driver. So I can not sound too negative, right? What a special driver. But when I'm in a rush and I need to kind of get some point A to point B a little bit faster, I may cut somebody off and say, well, I'm in a hurry. I'm in a rush. And I could think, well, there may be a slow driver. They're so inconsiderate for not considering you're in the carpool lane. In the carpool lane, you're driving a little faster than everybody else. How inconsiderate of you for driving 70 or 65 in the carpool lane? And I'll consider my own things as well. I'm just in a hurry. That's a little minor, minor example. Because we can all relate to situations where we can see someone else's offenses as more egregious than our own. And we compare, well, they have much more to forgive than I do. Some struggle with forgiving themselves. Maybe that unforgiveness is towards yourself. Some people see their sins as more serious than other people's sins. And God cannot forgive me of my sin because mine is much more serious than somebody else's sins. We can all relate to that. Notice what Jesus does in verse 48 and 50. He said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Verse 50, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus declares to this woman, this broken woman, convicted of her sins, to the point that her tears are wetting Jesus' feet. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. It's interesting, that word forgiven has been forgiven and saved. In the Greek, is in the perfect tense. Meaning, what does that mean? It means it has been a completed work. It's a completed work. It is done. It has been done. It's not in the process. It was done. Jesus looks at this woman who did not say a word. We don't know anything she said. We don't have anything that Jesus or, or this woman goes to this woman and says, Jesus, I'm so sorry. This is what I did. This was my life. We don't see that. But what would have happened? It was reflected in how she came before the Lord. She needed forgiveness. And she wanted forgiveness. And Jesus looks at her and declares her, your sins have been forgiven. It's done. Your faith has saved you. It is done. That's a powerful moment. What a powerful moment this is. So then Jesus makes a final point. I'll get to this. Jesus makes a final point in this passage. He says, The one who has much to forgive showed much love. 
But the one who has little to forgive loves little. Jesus points a correlation of forgiveness and love, specifically love toward God. The one who has much to forgive showed much love. The one who has little to forgive loves little. And I'll say, if the weight of sin does not burden us, does not affect us, I will say to you that do not be surprised if your love for God is very little. If the weight of your sin does not affect you so much, don't be surprised if your love for God is little. If you find yourself saying, well, hey, you know what? I'm not a very bad person. I'm not a bad person. I do good things. I don't do egregious crimes. Don't be surprised. If you find yourself living for yourself more than you live for God. That's why you see some people who have very dramatic and traumatic testimonies. How many of you know somebody who has a very dramatic, very traumatic testimony of how they came to Christ? Have you noticed so many of them are just passionate for the Lord? They're so passionate for the Lord because they don't need reminders to remember how their life was before Christ. They don't need to be reminded of how, what, what kind of rut and what kind of hole that their life was in. They don't need to be reminded of the pain of what it felt like to not have Christ in their life. And it leads them to love much. To love God so much. And as you experience life, you will realize this. I find myself, you know what? As time passes, I'm like, God, man. I was talking to uh, Michaela about how I was when I was younger in high school. And man, when I think back, I'm like, man, how did I have friends? <laughs> Because I could tear into people, chips on my shoulder, attitude problems, so negative, all these things, because my heart was just in a bad place. And I look back and say, God, I'm so humbled. Where you bring me from? Let me wrap it up. Let me wrap up this scene. Jesus makes a symbolic statement with this fig tree. This fig tree is representing unfaithful Israel, unfaithful religion, the leaders of the day, and what's taking place. And Jesus uses this, this symbol to teach the disciples that the unfaithfulness of the religious leaders of the day ought not to be you. You are to have faith in God, to pray in faith, but to forgive. Forgive one another. When you have faith in God, when you pray in faith, the impossible can happen. And sometimes that impossible thing is forgiveness. Sometimes that impossible thing that we need to pray for is forgiveness. 
whatever it is that you feel like it's impossible to forgive. Sometimes we need to be praying, God, help me to forgive. I want us to leave with this marinade, some marinade on these two things. One, God desires for us to be at peace with one another. This point of forgiveness, God reminds us, he wants his people to be at peace with one another. To seek forgiveness and to give forgiveness. God empowers us to forgive when we are too weak and unwilling to forgive. Forgiveness is a quality that flows from the grace of the Father. When you feel like, I, can, I don't have it in me to forgive, that's okay to come to, truth to come to. Because that's when you rely on God's grace. God, give me the grace and forgiveness that you have shown me that I need to show somebody else. And this is not the first time God is asked to do something difficult or is contrary to our natural inclinations. Jesus is constantly challenging us to do things that goes against our natural inclination. To love one another, to be kind to one another, to love our enemies. Those are things that go contrary to our inclination. And forgiveness is one of those things, but forgiveness is foundational to what it means to be a child of God. As we have received forgiveness from God, we are to extend forgiveness towards one another. And we keep in mind, oh, I'll get to that in a second. Forgiveness does not guarantee repentance. Let's keep that in mind, right? Because we forgive somebody, it doesn't mean they're going to change. That is true. Forgiveness does not mean permissiveness, right? Because we forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that we have allowed somebody to do those things. Forgiveness does not excuse the offense. Because you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean you've excused it in the sense of like you allowed it to be okay. It's not okay. Forgiveness, though, is essential if we're to be at peace with one another. Lisa's second point, forgiveness is not optional. Jesus has a lot to say about forgiveness. But forgiveness is not part of an optional package when you come to Christ. Like when you get a car, when you buy a car, there's standard packages, standard things that come with all cars. And there's optional things. You can upgrade your moonroof or whatever it is or stereo system or alarm system like all right let me give me the stock stuff and i'll bypass the optional things forgiveness is not part of an optional package to have faith in god to have faith in christ is to acknowledge you need forgiveness of your sin you need to repent You need to change your mind for the better. You need to change the way you live for better. God does not say just believe in me and live your life the way you want. It's no offense to me. That's not the message. To believe in me is to understand you need to confess your sin. You need forgiveness. 
and you believe in Christ for your forgiveness of your sins. And then, forgive each other. Want to reconcile. Want to reconcile. If someone comes to you seeking forgiveness, it's not for you to say, how much do you mean it? What are you going to do for me? You owe me. Can you imagine if God did that to us? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. Lord, this is a hard lesson because many of us have had some very difficult things done to us. And the pain is real. The pain is present. Even the offense may still be ongoing. And unforgiveness is hurting us. Some of us here have done wrong to somebody else. And perhaps we're too prideful to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? Some of us are so hurt by our own sin that we struggle to say, God, can you forgive me of my sin? But Lord, you challenge us that if we stand before you and we pray and ask in faith, you challenge us to forgive. Lord, I pray for each person here. If there's people here who are struggling with unforgiveness, Lord, may you remind them of the power of your Holy Spirit that can do miraculous things. And may we learn to be at peace with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand before the Lord and let's worship.